International Media Ministries presents dramatic scriptwriting with award-winning screenwriter and director Bart Gavigan. Lesson 14. Rules about scenes and genres. And the rule about scenes is, the rule is always the same, that the scene has exactly the same rule as the story. It has a setup. It has reversals. If it's long enough, it may not if it's, if it's short. But certainly it will have at least one reversal. It'll have a climax. And it may have a resolution. The, the reason it may not have a resolution is the, the rule is, like in film, which is that once you've had your climax, you get out of the film. Once you've had your main climax, you get out of the film. You have less than five minutes, usually, to be out of that film. And the rule in scene is once you've had the climax, you move out. Remember the, the rule I said in this, in, in about scenes is you get into them as late as possible and out as early. And certainly once the climax is gone, you may have time for a mini resolution, but no more than that. And you're, you're out of there. And uh, very great filmmakers don't know this. Like David Lean, say, in Passage to India, his film ends and he goes on for about half an hour wandering around, you know, and the audience sense this and they say, well, What's going on now? They, they know when the story's ended. And, and they don't know consciously, so they sit there looking at the, the beautiful pictures and the, the epilogue and so on. But they've left the film, they've left the cinema mentally. And David Lean doesn't know this. Okay. It's a blind spot in his craft. In Star Wars, there's a, there's a moment too where these aren't great. I mean, Star Wars isn't a great film. You know, it's, don't get me wrong. So I'm, I'm not quoting things as great. But there, there, there are great moments of, there are great moments generated by a knowledge of craft in films, okay? And, and if you're going to really do good things, you have to know what's good. You have to know what those moments are. And there's a moment near the end of Star Wars where the conflict is starting to rage on the outer level, on the wider level. They're attacking the the Death Star, whatever it's called. And, and so all hell is breaking loose. The, the spaceships flying around and being blown up and so on. And there are two great rules involved here. One is, how do we open up conflict on another level in the midst of conflict? It's like in the, scene, the kitchen scene. How do we start to get this to operate on all levels? Because if it's operating on just one, we're just into an action film, an action-adventure film, which will which will arouse the audience, interest them, and they won't remember it a minute after they leave the cinema. In other words, it will engage their interest, but it's not actually doing anything deep down here. It's not actually making them think. It's not actually churning away. They're, they're being entertained, indeed. They're being carried along by the power of the action, the special effects, and so on. So as a writer, you're saying, how can I open up a gap on the other levels of conflict, interpersonally or on the inner? And what they do is they open up a gap on the inner, which is a brilliant gap. Remember that? When in the Luke Skywalker character, as he's flying into the desert, basically the, the, the voice comes through saying, use the force, Luke. In other words, switch off the automatic pilot and go with the force, use the force. And this is a crisis because, <laughs> because, <laughs> because you know, this choice will decide his life, certainly, and probably decide everything else, you know? Go with the force. So this 
huge conflict on the inner level opens up in the middle of this outer conflict. It's a brilliant moment. It's also um, it, it, it's brilliant on the level of a second rule, which is if in the middle of the climax of your film, you can open up another gap, just one last gap, okay, uh, inside the hero, inside the hero's choice, um, you will probably uh, make not that it matters very much, but you'll probably make a fortune as a writer. If you, can, if you can open up a gap in the middle of the climax, one last turn of the plot on the inner level of, say, your hero, Hollywood will come and knock on your door and say, at the very least, they'll say, please write the endings of our film. Okay. And, um, and that's what they've done here. They've opened up a gap. And interestingly, when that film was shown at uh, the Empire Leicester Square, which is this huge cinema in the middle of London, it holds 3,000 people, when he went with the force, when he switched off his automatic pilot, the whole audience en masse got up and cheered the first time this was shown. Literally, they stood on the seats and cheered. Now, this is a parable about hope in the heart of man. The, the hope that we're not alone here, that we're not in a mechanistic universe, you know, that there's something bigger than automatic pilot. The whole audience got up and cheered because he switched off the, the computer and went with what? An image for some other power, you know, than this. It's fascinating. I mean, do you understand what the, the thirst out there, the thirst you're looking for, the hunger out there you're looking at when you see things like that? We've talked about, um, we've talked about uh, genres like action-adventure which, which operate only on one level, where there's no intimacy or depth, and where the whole drive of the film uh, is to stimulate, to entertain, to offer spectacle instead of story, in a sense. Now, there is story, but it's, it's really as a vehicle for violence and spectacle. One of the great practitioners of action-adventure has said, this is a genre in search of a justification for violence. Because obviously it needs violence to actually uh, work on the level of one, one level, you see. It needs huge body counts, it needs the hero wiping. And so uh, the Western at least has a sort of a quasi justification in terms of environment. Here's the Wild West, people have to tame this, it's a wild place. But action adventure is a genre in search of the justification of violence. Now, does that mean you can't use that genre? No, it doesn't mean that. It just means that if you're going to use it morally, you have to subvert it. And to subvert it, you know, have to know the rules. You see, in other words, to actually subvert a genre, you have to know exactly what you're doing. Otherwise, you'll end up with total egg on your face. If you wander into a genre and, and try to take it on and try to turn it around and try to do something different with it without knowing exactly the rules that govern it, uh, and rules govern all genre. There are rules in the mind of the audience. There are rules sitting out there that govern genre. They have expectations of genre. You know, if it's a murder mystery, they want to see the body 15 minutes in. There's always a body 15 minutes in, 10 minutes in a murder mystery. Otherwise, is, are we in a murder mystery? Or, you know, what are we in now? Now, that doesn't mean to say you have to have a body 10 minutes into murder mystery. You just have to know the expectation, what's going on, and you have to deal with it. Uh, but, for example, comedy has its own rules, and, I, and those I will try and teach, touch on for you because they're so important. But, for example, in comedy, okay, the core of comedy, I, I mentioned about worlds colliding, but the sort of, just as conflict is the, uh, 
the, the, the oxygen of drama. The oxygen of com comedy is taboo. Okay, taboo. Comedy feeds off taboo. Okay? So if you listen to something like Robin Williams at the Met, okay, given his brilliant monologues, it's a brilliant monologue, this. I mean, scatological in every way, but, but it's incredibly brilliant. And what you'll see is him taking on every icon of society from God to babies to Luciano Pavarotti to the Met itself to ballet. You know, he'll take them all on. He takes on all the taboos one after another. Now, the audience don't sit there saying, oh, I get it. Robin's taken on all the taboos. But subconsciously, they know that taboo is at the core of comedy. Okay? Now, the problem with this, okay, for us as Christians, is that what you do as more and more there are no taboos, as the taboos erode in the culture around you, what happens to comedy? It's pretty obvious what happens. It becomes more extreme. Okay? And we can see the future of comedy right in front of our face. We can see the future of this genre staring at us. Okay? And that comedy will become more and more extreme unless... Unless what? Unless we change it. Now... We won't change it by complaining. <laughs> we won't change it by saying, look at all these films coming out, you know, more and more the taboo is more and more extreme, you know what I mean? Or the comedy is more and more vulgar, or the, the abuse of humanity involved here is, is just mind-numbing. We will not change it by doing that. We will change it by actually taking on the genre of comedy and making films or making theatre or making things that people want to see, that make them laugh, that's funny, and in a sense restoring com a humanity to comedy, but also not leaving aside the fact that taboo will also always be in comedy. So now, it's, it's like Patricia said, we're not going to be able to avoid the, the humanity that's involved here. So if you actually think you're going to be able to make comedy without dealing with taboo, you are wrong. It's just the issue of are you going to humanise the taboo or rehumanise it? Or are you actually going to let the world around you just go to hell in a handbasket? And I actually believe God's raising up people who can start to do this, can start to change the culture around them. Okay? Love story is the same. Love story is very simple, uh, the genre of love story. And I'll... Uh, how are we doing? Okay. Um, in this genre... Um, the, the, the essential core of love story, uh, for, for um, we know it very well, which is that uh, two people meet, they fall in love, then they get separated by the forces in their life, and then they meet again, and, they, and by meet I don't mean just meet, like meet in the street, they actually get together again, and they either uh, stay together or part, okay? And traditionally, um, there has been two ways, two very good ways of looking at love story, okay? One way is to say, who is the opponent? Who is the opposition in the love story? And the traditional answer has been parents. Romeo and Juliet, whatever it is. It's for hundreds of years, the, the major forces of opposition in love story were parents. And that was because that was true in society. In those people, days, people actually had parents, see? 
Nowadays, parents as the major opposition in love, love story. I'm sorry. People don't know what you're talking about. Parents, what are they? Parents uh, interfering in my life? Parents deciding whether I'd get married or whether I'd sleep with someone? Are you kidding me? This is the culture we live in, do you understand? Okay. So the convention has had to change. The, the genre has had to change. So now, uh, it's just exactly like taboo in comedy. So now the, the, the forces of opposition are much more extreme. What's the problem? What's the, what's the, what's the force of opposition here? Oh, AIDS, maybe. My girlfriend has AIDS. Okay. Oh, well, actually my boyfriend's gay. Do you, you understand? And that was the, 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 the power or the force on the opposite side of the film. The, the, the problem becomes more extreme as the culture becomes more extreme, as the culture disintegrates, as, as the order or the family ordering culture disappears, family no longer is the opposition, you see? Another thing that's affected this genre in the past, uh, the, rom the romance character in any film, um, whether it be love story or not, was the person whom the hero uh, wanted to love him or her, wanted to fall in love with them. They fell in love with this character and wanted them to fall in love in return, as it were. Now, because of the way our society is, uh, in this genre uh, of the romance character, or, or in this character called the romance character, uh, you add the bracket, or wants to sleep with. I don't add that bracket. That bracket has been added to the genre. And indeed, if you deal with a, a romance character or deal with a love story, where at the very least you don't deal with the issue of whether they're going to sleep together or not, the producers or the people putting up the money will be very upset because it's in the genre now. It doesn't mean they have to sleep together, but if you don't deal with it, an issue, they say you're out of touch with the culture around you. Do you see? Do you actually see how the culture is shaping the genre? And so the question you have to deal with is what am I... What am I going to do about this? How does my worldview, which I have every right to write about, provided I have the talent and the skill and the ability to find an audience, hook an audience, draw an audience, relate to an audience, and move an audience, what am I going to do about this? How is my worldview and the genre and the society, the views of society shaping that genre, how am I going to impact on this? at whatever level I'm working. Because, of course, don't think, don't think this just affects feature films. This affects every level of the visual media. There is a knock-on, trickle-down effect right the way through visual media. Okay. A film I've mentioned occasionally is a film called Witness. And there's, a, there's an absolutely startling break of the convention in Witness. Um, and that is at the point where the hero of this film, John Book, um, is investigating the murder, is trying to protect his witnesses. The boy, little boy has seen the murder. And we've had different... Uh, we've started off, as usual, uh, in this film. I, I won't go through the film, but do you remember how the hero always takes the, the most conventional, easiest, cheap way to solve the problem? What does he do? He goes straight to a, a black club, pulls out a guy, slams him against the the window of the car and says, is this him? <laughs> so this is round up the usual suspects. This is the most conservative, 
police action to actually solve the situation. And the little boy says, no. <laughs> and, and immediately we have what's called a barrier scene in film. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll look at this in a minute, uh, the different levels of crisis, of complication, of obstacle, of conflict. And this would be called a barrier scene. And now it's a barrier scene. Um, maybe I should just talk about this now, but, but uh, there are different kinds of uh, obstacles that the hero encounters. Some of them are minor. They're complications. They complicate his life. Okay? They're not major barriers to his journey. They're irritants. They, 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 you'd rather not have them, but, but they're not serious. You know? They're not the flu. They're a cold. Okay? <coughs> and um, a barrier is more serious because what the barrier does in witness, when, when the little boy shakes his head and says, no, this isn't the man, suddenly he is faced with having to deal with the case differently. For the first start, he has to put these people in a hotel. Okay? And then he thinks, well, if I put them in a hotel, they'll abscond. So then he has to say, okay, well, I'll take them to my sister. Suddenly his life gets more complicated than just a little complication. It's a barrier scene. He hits a wall, and he can go around it. It's not an impenetrable wall, but it's a wall nevertheless. And so the film, uh, instead of just slightly deviating, has to go over here before it can go forward. Remember I said the hero reaches towards his goal and gets blocked? He's blocked. This is a significant block. It didn't work out the way he hoped. Okay. But um, so you have complications, you have minor crises, you have minor conflicts, and then you have barrier scenes where you actually hit a wall. And then when you hit a real wall, when you can't go through, um, that's usually some form of a climax. In other words, that's, that's a, a turning point. That's a major, a major reversal. In other words, when the, when, the, when the hero reaches out and can't get something, he's reversed. He, 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 it's a reversal, okay? And a major reversal is something you'll always end an act with a major reversal. Now, a major reversal, uh, my image for it is that it's like those great grab cranes or those great grabs and it's like a, a grab crane reaches down into the the hero reaches down into the center of your script and just twists it around so he's going in this direction and when he hits a major reversal suddenly he, he's going in this direction it, it's not like a wall he just moves around suddenly the whole direction of his journey changes and that's called a major reversal okay and that usually, as I say, would be at the end of an act. Um, and you can have, uh, when we look at subplots, you'll see you, you have reversals on the subplot line as well as on the main plot line. And we'll see the convention of how you position those together so that you have double power, okay? You have power on the emotional line and you have power on the action line. But we'll see, we'll see all that in a minute. But um, the main thing to grasp is that... Uh, when they were doing Witness, uh, they had a, a very straightforward um, situation. Witness is a very interesting film. It's a totally <coughs> common thriller. We, uh, it's, a, it's a cop story. It's a sort of thriller. We've seen this many times, this film. We've seen it a million times on television. What makes it extraordinary was the 
decision to set it among the Amish. Okay? That, that was what lifted this out of the ordinary and started to give the, the script a whole different feel and a, a whole different uh, possibility. And what's it, what makes it structurally very different, this film, uh, what you'll see is that they ran an immense risk structurally and they actually give the whole of Act Two to the subplot with four or five minor moments of going back to the main plot. And this is, to do this, you have to know what you're doing. Because if you get this wrong, you've actually set up two stories. You've just broken your film in two. And, um, and they, they run the risk because... Uh, Really, what interests them in the film isn't just the police story. It's actually the subplot. It's actually uh, this love story. It's actually the, 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 the clash of two worlds, okay? It's the, it's the coming together of two cultures that interest them in this story. And um, a whole theme in, in this film is community, the meaning of community versus the individual, which has the true, which has the true power. Okay, the lone hero who's represented by John Book or the Amish community, which in the end is stronger, which is the end is... It's a very interesting theme. Okay. And... Um, so what you have is at the end of Act One, he's gone to see his boss because <coughs> now the little boy has identified who it is, and this, of course, is a, another complication, a conflict, a crisis, because the little boy at the police station points to the police officer in the case and says it was him. By case, I mean in the last case. And um, there's a case of a man receiving an award, and it's him. It's, uh, this is the man. This sort of Danny Glover figure uh, is, the, is the man who's responsible. McPhee. And so he goes to see his boss, his mentor, and, and tells him about it, and tells him what he thinks, and uh, he understands what's happened, and so on. And the boss says to him, does anyone else know about this? And he says, no, just the two of us. And so he goes from that encounter, and he goes, uh, and he's carrying his um, dry cleaning. He goes to a garage. It's very nicely set up visually, because there's a car, and the car just rocks slightly, you see? So in this little garage scene, just look at how the car rocks. And, and the audience, who, are, who see every detail, uh, basically are filled with foreboding. They know something's about to happen. And sure enough, something does happen. He's shot. And as the bullet said, and as blood is dripping down onto his nice dry cleaning, we have a voiceover, which totally breaks the convention of the film. There's been no voiceover in the film, no convention. So structurally, this is an absolute no-no. It breaks the convention of the film. And the voiceover is the voiceover of, his, of him, the dialogue with his boss, where the boss says, who else knows about it? And he says, no one, Paul, just the two of us. So why they've employed this voiceover in, in Witness is they felt it is so important for the audience to understand that his boss is the one who set him up, because he was the only one who knew. So his boss is behind the person, him being shot at, okay? And, and what does that mean in terms of the journey? It now means that this is a major reversal on his journey, because it means there is no safe place. It means the police are no longer a safe place. Philadelphia is no longer a safe place. It means if he survives this shooting, at the very least, he's going to have to get out of Philadelphia and he's going to have to take the woman and the boy with him. So this is a major reversal. This is not a wall. This is not a minor complication. This is not a barrier scene. This is a full-out major reversal where the hand has reached down in, the grab uh, has reached down in from the crane and 
grabbed his life by the sort of the, the guts and twisted it round and sent him in a new direction. And, and the, the, the people writing this, the, the people directing this, were so anxious that the audience understand that, that they broke the convention and had a voiceover. Would I break the convention and have a voiceover if, um, if the audience need to, to know something? You bet I would. You serve the audience, okay? You don't serve craft, you don't serve brilliant writing, you serve the audience, okay? So you've got to be humble at this point. All your friends and all your interns will say, that's pathetic, you know? Um, and you must say, no, I serve the audience. Okay. And that, I think, is what makes you a great writer if you're, if you're prepared to do that. Um, so voiceover, uh, very important. Uh, but the rule is that if it can be stripped out or it, it, it shouldn't be carrying, it should not be carrying the, the narrative drive of the film. It's there, it's, its real function is to, its best function is to interact with the main narrative drive of the film, to comment on it, to reflect it, to challenge it, to reveal it. 